HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program has been brought to you by Cider Week NYC. For more information, check out ciderweeknyc.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. It's a lovely Sunday today in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm really excited to be joined in the station um, by uh, a daring chef, um, <laughs> Food Network TV star. Um, his uh, former restaurant was really breaking a lot of boundaries. It was called Do or Dine. He's got a new new book out, and uh, he's in the station now. It's Justin Warner. How are you? Living the dream. Thanks for having me. Always excited to be on Heritage Radio Network. Yeah. Well, it's been a crazy month because this book came out October. Uh, it's called The Laws of Cooking and How to Break Them. It's a really interesting, really fun book, and uh, congrats. It's your first book, right? Thank you. Yeah. It's a uh, first uh, text baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, in the last month, you've gotten a lot of press also with the closing of Do or Dine, um, which has been around for four years. Uh, it had uh, a mention from Michelin's, uh, what's it called? Something Big called? Gourmand. Big Gourmand. Um, so, uh, so you've been sort of taking it a little breather since then, right? I, I don't know <laughs> that I'd call it a breather. Um, you know... I, I mostly just went from uh, a baby that lived in 3D time and space, the restaurant, to a baby that lives in text. Uh-huh. Uh, this is far more manageable, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's like a little bit more grown up. Cool. And uh, any exciting TV projects going on? Well, right now, uh, you can actually check it out today uh, on Snapchat. Uh, I have this Snapchat show for Food Network uh, called Foodie Call. And uh, we just started the second season of that, which is pretty exciting. And uh, today we did a little project with Brooklyn's own, the Robocellis. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, of the bakery. And we made an interesting take on an apple pie. Oh, wow. Perfect uh, for a little Thanksgiving inspiration there. Yeah. I'm also, I guess, what else have I got going on? I'm also going to be on uh, the finale of Cutthroat Kitchen's Superstar Sabotage, which I think will happen in like 
two weeks, maybe sometime in December. I don't know. <laughs> that the press like people. A fun one. Um, have you ever seen that show? No, no. Oh, uh, it's Cocoa Puffs. You uh, you get your money in advance, all your prize money in advance, and then you bid on sabotages to wreck the other chefs. <laughs> so like the last time, the, the last What's time gonna I take them down. It's tough. It's so hard. So like last time I had to make Swedish pancakes, right? Mm -hmm. But my only heat source was a flaming Viking arrow. Oh, cool. So gosh. you can't rest a pan on top of a flaming Viking arrow. So I hacked through that. But then someone gave me a, my own, the only pan I could use contained Swedish meatballs and gravy, and I could not take the Swedish meatballs and gravy out of the pan. Mm. So I had to make Swedish pancakes in that, and I overcame. Oh my gosh, that sounds like there could be danger involved in that show. Oh, if plenty I, of If it. I were on it, that if is. anyone is on it, <laughs> trust me. So, so you haven't really missed a beat then with the book and the you know appearances and. Yeah, I try not to try not to loaf. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about a new restaurant? Everyone's wondering. I gotta ask it. Well, that's a good question, I guess. Um, you know, if you look at the Venn diagram of all the things that need to line up to make a good restaurant, it starts to just look like a spirograph. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, once once all those spirograph circles come together, yeah, I'll make a new restaurant. Sure. All right. That's good to know for the, all the fans, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, we, we've like sort of alluded to it, but not really talked too much about you know the themes of, around your cooking philosophy and your restaurant. And I just want to say that you know Do or Dine has been described by critics at times as aggressively irreverent, wacky, berserk. I know I just pulled out like some really weird ones, but there's a lot of good no, I descriptions. Think, I think that's there. accurate. I, I like that. I like berserk. Berserk. Yeah, it just sounds like a restaurant that's like out of its control. It's seeing red, you know. Sounds like a good name. Um, so, but what you know, really, what was your idea going into it, and well, what take you wanted to when we <laughs> we didn't really have a concept when we opened. We we thought, okay, let's make a dive bar. But um, then we were like, well, we have this kitchen, so let's make some quesadillas or whatever. But then uh, we didn't have the money to hire a chef, so my buddy George and I decided, okay, we'll, we'll take over the cooking for a couple weeks till we can get some capital together to hire a real person to do the cooking. Uh, we had no real culinary experience at that point, so um, we just made whatever came to our minds. And I, I guess, fortunately, the things that were coming out were things that people really enjoyed and thought were a nice um, counterbalance to everything else that was going on mm -hmm. in cuisine at the time. And it... You know, there was a lot of buzz from eaters, like, around the country, actually, came out, and um, it was certainly pioneering for the neighborhood, Bed-Stuy, which didn't really have um, much in the way of restaurants, mm. or your particular block, that is. Um, do you think that the landscape in New York, or in food in general, has changed a lot in those four years? Oh, yeah. Uh, tremendously. Yeah. Like, so, like, for example, I was I was in East Williamsburg, uh, I guess you call it that, now it's just Williamsburg. Something, um, yeah. Right? Uh, I had a place called Harefield Road. Uh, I go there for brunch a lot it's like $13 and you get all of the brunch mm -hmm. and so my wife and I were there yesterday and she's like let's go to the thrift store afterwards and we turn around and it's like wait the thrift store is gone there's nothing there and I, I said I don't even want to walk around and, and look at the what's happening here uh, mm -hmm. thing because I know this is going to be some massive condo and sure enough you know it's, it's going to be a massive condo so uh, what does that mean in terms of dining uh you know, when I came to Brooklyn, I said, I'd love to be able to work hard enough where I can live in a brownstone on the ground floor with a backyard. That, yep. to me, is the definition of true Brooklyn living. Like, awesome. Can't mm -hmm. wait. You know, you don't own it. You're still renting like everybody else. But to have the ground floor with a backyard, is that's cush, <laughs> yeah. right? So, um, 
I think you're getting a lot of, now that there's a lot of development going on in Brooklyn in terms of condos and whatnot, you have a lot of people that are coming in that aren't necessarily authentic. They're kind of looking for a place to live. They're not looking for this... Uh, a hit. restaurant community and uh, yeah, I don't know. They're looking for Seamless. And yeah. I'm not I'm not going to smash someone else's business. I mean, I think Seamless uh, was a great idea at a time. But for the small business, for the restaurateur that doesn't want to deliver their food, that wants people to come and interact, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's kind of a dying art form. Think about it. Why would you Why would you even bother with somewhere when you can just have it delivered and never have to interact with someone? I mean, their marketing plan is great. Do I agree with it? No. Yeah, it, it it is a big change. Um, also, in terms of like the food itself, too. You know, you've you've uh, kind of uh, you know broken a lot of boundaries with um, foie gras donuts, for example, um, and. I guess gutsier and gutsier food um, has always wowed New Yorkers. But do you think that that has like kind of reached um, a, a sort of fever pitch these days? Or I guess I think that uh, you know the the culture of foodieism uh, and just media in general, which I love. I mean, without media, Duradine would be would have been nothing. It would have just been like a neighborhood thing. But um, mm-hmm. I think that we've all kind of realized like, hey, like restaurants are starting to make food for press, not mm-hmm. for food. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I mean, that's a sad thing, but at the same time, like that's buzzy, what buzzy, catchy. Things, yeah. But that's, yeah. you know, unfortunately that's what it takes to get New Yorkers in your restaurant is, is buzzy things. So, okay. Should I um, make food that's only suitable for consumption on Instagram and mm-hmm. get a ton of people in my restaurant and stay alive? Or should I make food that's just normal and good? You know, I don't know. It's, it's really difficult. Yeah. It's I'm, a real tightrope. I'm, I'm curious what you'll come up with next with the. When the uh, stars align. I don't know. If I, I say it a million times, yeah. but if I could do anything, I'd probably just sit on the side of the road and make barbecue. Mm. Um, well, you did make this amazing book. And I got to say, for anyone who's ever opened a cookbook before and seen how chapters are usually organized, um, this book sort of breaks those laws as well. Um, it is organized by certain flavor combinations that you play around with. So, for example, peanut butter and jelly, that's law. In, in itself because it's like rich peanut butter and then sweet tangy jelly. Yes. And then you take that and just kind of make all crazy stuff. Yeah, so I guess a, a classic example since we're here at Roberta's is uh, when you have peanut butter and jelly, which I consider to be one of the first true dishes that we learn to create for ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, you have this rich peanut butter, uh, fruity jam, and something to spread it on. So what is a pizza if not uh, rich cheese, fruity tomato, and something to spread it on? And so uh, it's about... All these various foods that we either know how to make. Is that why you ordered the bee sting? Because it's like, you know, sweet honey and then the... I I love that pizza. (laughs) Well, it's just very balanced and Uh I think it's super. I don't know. Are you... Didn't order it, but and then there's like okay, so that sounds what you described may sound very simple, but you take these in directions that are also um, uh, kind of playing off of other, I guess, comfort foods. So there's the tomato soup with grilled cheese ravioli. Yeah. Which looks crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, the everybody at least that I care about um, dips their uh, tomatoes or dips their sandwich, their grilled yeah. cheese. Yeah, dips the grilled cheese into the tomato soup. So why not just put the grilled cheese in the soup and uh, and make it like a little bit more composed? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was working at the Modern a long time ago, I remember the first thing that really blew my blew my mind was watching soups get poured table side. And so, um, it why actually, did, wait, why did that blow your mind that they're pouring the soup table side? I just, just never worked at a place that did that. Oh, cause it was just like 
really elevated and yeah okay got it okay. yeah but that actually i did a lot of research into it and it actually makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of surface area um so when you have a, a smaller vessel of soup with less of it exposed mm-hmm. and pouring it table side it originated when they didn't have like heat, heat. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be cold by the time it got to your seat exactly cool wild right yeah um, talking a little bit about um, you know your experience at the Modern as a server and and throughout it sounds like you've worked in um, in and around the restaurant industry but never in the kitchen and I thought it was really funny that um, you know you dive into opening a restaurant without having really worked professionally in the kitchen before and uh, you also say that you dove into this Food Network audition and uh, got a TV show or won the Food Network star, you know, TV show um, without having seen the show on because you don't have a TV. (laughs) Do you have like a love of just diving into, I don't know, skydiving? Is that something you do? Um, I mean, I would. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I I just sounds I guess I'm trying to sound not uh, crazy egomaniacal, but I I believe in my abilities Mm -hmm. and I mean, I'm not going to jump into a marathon anytime soon, but, you know, <laughs> but I'd try it. Maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, I just give anything a try. Why not? I believe that we're infinitely capable as human beings. And I think that the only thing that really sets us apart from our goals is just having a crummy attitude. <laughs> well, I, I think that's inspiring to a lot of people. Oh, thanks. You know, if you can make it here. As I say, um, and tell me about like the cookbook. How did you? Was this a dream of yours for a while, or how did this come about? Well, once once the restaurant started, we started getting approached mm-hmm. right away, and I just kind of thought that the do or die narrative wasn't it wasn't there right mm-hmm. away. You know, I mean, it was cool, but I, I didn't think that it was necessarily the kind of thing that was. It wasn't so story worthy in terms of a huge book that needed to sit on a shelf. Right, like the do or die in cookbook yeah. Bible. Yeah, it's we just weren't around that long, and also I don't love restaurant cookbooks because they're for restaurants, and I think that people get intimidated. You know, like I I own cookbooks that are freaking beautiful, but you know they have an entire chapter on fluid gels, and like mm. my like I show that to anyone, they're like sweet coffee table book. What's a fluid gel? Yeah, yeah, and then it gets scary. So, um. Eventually, I, I met some folks that uh, asked the right question, and, and the right question uh, is what I wanted to answer, which is, hey, where do you come up with this stuff, and why? And that's basically what this book is, and it's it's done in a way that any home cook can do. If you look at the second picture in the book, it's my home kitchen, and every single thing in the book we made there. It's literally the second page in the book. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Right, so that's by no means like I mean I've got like a tiny island, but Why it's more do you like a peninsula. Have a screwdriver though. Oh, because and, oh, and a coconut. I yeah, see. Okay. I was using it to get the coconut. Okay. <laughs> that yeah. makes perfect sense, actually. No, but I love that you have um, also. You know, you refer to a little bit of the kind of molecular gastronomy tweaks that you can do. Like for instance, you say you can take a salsa and then. If you want, you know, play around with it, turn it into a gel or dehydrate it into yeah. a cracker of some sort. Yeah. And so I think that these things, like I, I give people hints in the book, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to make a book about making gels because <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to know that. But the internet is perfect for that. Okay. And so, you know, if you want to learn how to make a fluid gel, you should probably learn how to make a great salsa first, then mm-hmm. go on the internet and learn how to make a fluid gel. It's really... Is not that like hard. a hydrocolloid? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. You would you would maybe use. I like personally using a mix of agar agar and gelatin, mm-hmm. and so you would take your salsa, blend it up, cook it with a little agar agar and gelatin, mm-hmm. let it set, 
then you would put it in a blender again, and it will come out kind of the texture of like gel, like mm -hmm. toothpaste. You know, you could make little like Hershey Kiss shapes with mm -hmm. it. And so that's kind of a neat thing that uh, a home cook could do to step his or her game up a little. Right. Or just kind of like figure out how these chefs are doing it, which is also cool. But it, it does sound like you're saying that for this audience, like the cookbook, I guess, buying audience, they want to maybe not so much go crazy with the food science. Yeah. I just don't think that it's a good sell. And I, th I think that <laughs> science is a huge part. I mean, it, it is all cooking is, mm -hmm. is science. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily like being the kind of guy that gets pigeonholed into being like the science guy. It's it's a tough route to escape, but it's it's very simply that I consider scientific principles sometimes mm -hmm. when I go about cooking. Like, why don't things work? Well, there's probably some science involved. Mm -hmm. That's always why things don't work in the kitchen. So, <laughs> you know, we should consider it. But at the same time, um, I don't necessarily believe in using modern techniques to create a dish. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think we get a little confused between uh, modern cuisine, molecular gastronomy, and uh, cooking, yeah. and, and the science of normal cooking. Like, yeah. you could say that um, making salad dressing, salad dressing and emulsion uh -huh. is molecular gastronomy. Yeah, that's science. Right, or science. But, you know, yeah. it's a, to some people, that's scary, you know? Yeah. Maybe we should just talk about taking the oil and drizzling it and beating it together. <laughs> right, right. That's it. Uh, let's break that law of, uh, yeah, labeling everything then. Yeah, right? It's, yeah. I think it's just food is food. And awesome. the, the further in the rabbit hole, eventually you're going to go to a molecular level, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, um, we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break. We'll be right back chatting more. to bring profitability to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers, in turn, help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders. You still paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute anything. A dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, anything counts. And trust me, we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations. So consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org, click on that little beating heart, the donate button, and show us you care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, we're back on air chatting with Justin Warner of the new book, The, the Laws of Cooking and How to Break Them. I love that photo of the, on the front of the, the egg you know, kind of just perfectly <laughs> falling out. That's Daniel um, Krieger, no Photoshop. Yeah. Can you believe it? That guy is amazing. Yeah, the photos throughout are just so fun, and then they get so um, 
they get really personal too. They're like up close with all these ingredients in a, in a way that is just really different. So. Yeah, I mean, that's it's interesting that you you point that out because I really wanted. I didn't want perfection or the classic idea of perfection in any mm. of the shots. I, yeah, like all of this beauty. food there is like very minimally, like minimally styled, like if at all. I, I really wanted to make like what you see is what you will cook, I sort see. of thing. And yeah, I like just a huge shot of a potato, for instance. Well, that's what potatoes <laughs> yeah. look like. You know, they. I mean, that, when you go to a grocery store, that's what your potato is going to look like. You know, not everybody can go to Union Square Green Market and get something that looks like it was, you know, mm-hmm. Martha Stewart's tears. Yeah. <laughs> what? I, I, I don't know if I would want to eat that, but... Mm, sound, sounds perfectly mm. salty, just the right amount. Yeah. Um, so you've been doing a lot of talking in the last month or so about the book and then about Do or Dine. I just wanted to, maybe, if you don't mind, um, you had a long interview in Eater last month, and um, I, was, I just wanted, I was confused about one quote where it said um, something about your take on using local ingredients... And you say, um, you know, it's not a concept. It's a freaking moral obligation. Yeah. Yeah. You want to expand on that a little bit more? Like, what well, do you mean? Like, using yeah, local sure. ingredients is just, yeah. you know, natural? Well, um, yeah. For the record, that was Grub Street. Um, just, oh, sorry. Well, I've got, friend, I've got friends. <laughs> oh, my bad. I've got friends in both You're organizations. Right. You're right. That's okay. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think the idea is that as a chef... Um, I think you should do local, sustainable, organic things as often as possible because that's what's best for the planet. And we get our, like, say, think of the restaurant as fuel, you know, and or as a, as a vehicle, you know, the the fuel is the food. Mm-hmm. And so it's obviously better to you know run as as most you can without burning things up and mm-hmm. by supporting people locally. I guess my my point in that article was that. Um, it kind of drove me nuts to watch everybody put their the farm that everything came from, which sometimes was like massive. Like anytime you see like Creekstone beef, love them, love them, love them. But let's not kid ourselves. It's not a small time operation. That's, um, yeah, it's a distributor, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started. But, you know, yeah. people say Creekstone <laughs> beef. Well, doesn't that sound local and organic? Mm-hmm. And so um, this kind of sorcetarian locavore thing, amazing as a personal practice, as a moral thing. Mm-hmm. But um, it became this sort of brand that yeah. I just found to be a little bit repulsive. And distracting, perhaps? Uh, you know, it, be, it, it turned what could be normal, honest food into a boutique thing. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love um, boutique, like when I get my hair done or when I want to buy a nice wallet, um, food, first and foremost, to me, needs to sustain us and it needs to sustain the world around it. Right. So the second you slap a, a name on it, it becomes... But I see what you mean about brands. It's like, hey, you know, labeled name dropping and all that shit. Um, But what if it's not a big brand? What if it really is this tiny little backyard, some, you know, farm, like Flying Pigs Farm, for example? Sweet. I mean, love them. Okay, cool. I I, I think it's great. But I think that for every one person that is actually doing Doing that, that? there are 10 other chefs that are just putting, you know, random stuff. Like I said, Cornish hens. You know, guess who invented the Cornish hen? Tyson. Oh, to you know what, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? I haven't so, seen Cornish hens around well, lately. There's much, yeah. generally reason. But if you see Cornish <laughs> hen, chances are it's not from a small local farm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it has like gone in so many different directions. So what do you think is the most important thing about food? Is it flavor? Is it is it thought? Is it comfort? Is it the inventiveness? No. Being- I mean, are you, in terms of my personal swagger i guess in the kitchen is 
Yeah, it's mostly I, I want everything that I make to give you a little bit of a head scratch moment where you, you think and you're mm-hmm. learning. I'm trying to get people to, it's a difficult concept to understand that you can learn more about yourself the more things you try. And so I like to give people something that they can say, oh, I'm learning more about me by how I react to this. And that's what I think. I hate saying like, I'm an artist. I'm not. But I think good art and artists do that exact thing. And the goal is to make you learn more about who you are and where you live in this massive world Mm -hmm. based on what you just experienced with your senses. Cool. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not too far-fetched, And then, And then by, yeah, no, by, uh, you know, there's just this symbiotic relationship with the diner, too, who's experiencing something new and learning. Right. But when you have uh, lobster mac and cheese, and you've had that a few times... You know, you're not learning anything about who right. you are. Right. And but when you have a foie gras donut and you realize that you're a little trepidatious, why is that? What happened when you were young? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, yeah, no, it could bring people back. Yeah. To, I mean, donuts also, and it has that like comfort, like nostalgia pull. Um, no, that's really interesting. I love like, that you said um, curious, curiosity and a lack of fear are the only rules in my kitchen, which leads to positive experimentation, which is how one learns, sort of on that track. But I would love to hear about experimentations gone wrong. Oh. <laughs> the laws that you broke that were horrible. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I got a million of them. You know, if, okay. I, if I was a writer, I'd, I'd start a paper recycling company. Um, Wait, I guess I am a writer now. Shoot. Yeah. Um, You know, the writing of the book wasn't so hard. It was the cooking. Um, Yeah, no, because it's really fun, and I love that you encourage people to experiment and get get outside of the box. Yeah, well, I've always said that no matter what happens in your kitchen, you should eat your mistakes. You should try something and figure out what exactly went wrong. I think Mm -hmm. a a lot of people see smoke or the fire alarm goes off, and they say dinner is ruined. But when we cook for ourselves, like only ourselves like if you're at home alone and you make something and it's not 100 percent, chances are you eat it you're gonna eat it right Mm because no one's watching and so i think i don't know i just want people to realize that if you make a mistake with food it's it's okay like it is all right chances are it's still edible there's Mm -hmm. something lower in the food chain or someone a lot less fortunate that would be more than happy to eat that totally so anything really gross you fork down Um, Oh my God. Yeah. So in the, in the creation, this is terrible. So in the creation of the most dangerous catch, which is the vegan fish sticks recipe. Okay. Um, we, my, my culinary partner and I ran through a lot, a lot of, uh, mistakes, errors, bad ideas to the point where I made this thing. There's this like weird dish called a vocalan, which is like a, um, it's like a sponge that you make in the microwave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't get me started. Okay. Um, and so I, I was trying to get something that would mimic the texture of fish and also mm-hmm. be vegan. So I had tried everything, coconut, potato, potato flakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want something that's going to be flaky or at least a little springy, you know, yeah. in a uh, fish stick. And so that was hideous and involved me basically drinking coconut soy milk mayonnaise in a solid form. <laughs> and I mean, after having that, I thought maybe I should just kind of <laughs> hang it up. It was just, yeah, it was hideous. I love delighting in these stories. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've had a million the, of them. Yeah, I mean, worse things have happened, obviously. Yeah. So, so don't be afraid. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about entertaining. I can't imagine what your Thanksgivings or, and, or parties must look like. Um, 
do you do traditional or do you, you know I mean, like roast turkey, mashed potatoes, or do you forego it all together? Well, so for, for Thanksgiving in general in New York, because I'm kind of like the classic orphan hipster type, um, my pals and I get together and we go to a place called Kanji Village and we get a Lazy Susan and order mm. a bunch of things. That said, um, for... Tradition in itself. Yeah, yeah kind of, right? Mm-hmm. Uh Afterwards, generally, we'll pile into my place and play video games, and I'll have a, a crock pot of barbecued meat, like pulled pork, mm. that I've already smoked, and I just put it crock in... Crock pot? That y- sounds like a great way to store a lot of barbecue meat. Again. Yeah, I just yeah. put it in the keep warm setting, mm. and then I put a sack of Martin's potato rolls and a bottle of vinegar next to it, and everybody just helps themselves. Um, it's great. Wow. I also I have a kegerator in the in right now we're in the perfect time to be having your own keg like anywhere that you have a stoop a fire escape anything. The weather right now keeps beer at like a great temperature. So even if it gets down below freezing, until we have a solid okay. day of no freezing, you should be pumping your own beer out of a six stole or whatever. And that's very helpful for mass entertaining. Yeah, that's and really true. I have a kegerator all the time simply because I hate taking out the recycling. If you think about a six-pack in the tiny little recycling thing underneath of your sink, it you're going to take that out like every every two beers. You know? like, it's only 16 ounces. I know, right? <laughs> it's not enough. It's yeah. not enough. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how I roll. Um, but then I also do... Uh, uh, Christmas dinner for my uh, wife and her family in South Dakota. And uh, I always do two large format meats um, because I can, and I mm-hmm. think it's fun. Um, generally, we'll do like a bird or uh, I do a ham or uh, I love doing beef wellington. I think wellington is a, mm. a super great like mass, um, feeding the masses sort of thing because it looks pretty. People don't see it very often. It's easy as all get out to do. And it's also very easy for a guest to carve. I think the days of us all kind of sitting down and saying grace and having a meal together all at the same time is kind mm-hmm. of gone. You know, it's more of like, hey, let's use the table as a place to store all this stuff. And everybody just kind of walk around and maybe go outside, maybe watch the game, do this. It's difficult to have kind of the sit down Thanksgiving or Christmas experience, at no. least for me in Brooklyn. It's not going to happen. And in groups, yeah, yeah, large groups. And that sounds perfect. Yeah. So I, be- I believe in... Uh, Doing something always, every year I try and do something a little different that's not traditional. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially for Thanksgiving, and I get a lot of flack from this uh, on the internet, because Thanksgiving is a very tradition-rooted holiday. Um, I think that part of the the things that that we should really, really be thankful for, and the whole idea of the Puritans coming over here, was that they were doing something different. They didn't want to do the normal thing. And then (laughs) they came over here and did their own thing. And so I always like to kind of champion doing something different during Thanksgiving because it's what we should really be thankful for mm-hmm. is that we live in a, a country where we're afforded the ability to not do what we have to do on the holiday, you know? Right. And uh, if you Google Justin Warner stuffing, you can find five non-traditional stuffings, including what I call the Ed Koch, which is the, mm. uh, it's a bagel and lots stuffing. Oh. Yeah, it rules. It is so good. And oh, yeah, it's all cream cheesy and capery. <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. <laughs> that sounds really fun. Thanks. Cool. Um, I can't wait to check that out. And um, yeah, thanks so much for, I guess, you know, broadening our palates and expanding um, our courage in the kitchen. I yeah. think that's what I'm getting a lot from uh, this book. And, uh, you know, everything from a Chia Cosmopolitan to a <laughs> vegan chili, you know, on the same page, I have to say, like, it's just so much fun. Um, you have little rules. I mean, you have little break it tips throughout. Um, it's just, 
it's a really fun book, and um, can't wait to spread the word about it. Thank so. you, thank you so much. Yeah, and I uh, hope I uh, hope you get to cook sometime for for more people because I'm sure a lot of people want to taste your food again. They know where to find me. Yeah. All right. I get. I got to say, I never did get to go to do and do or die, so I'm a bad person. No. But uh, I did get to try. I had the pleasure of trying your food in someone's home once. So yeah, that was, that was fun. That was right? even better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so keep it up, and uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks from everyone here at Heritage. Thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Oh, I like the way you do. Whoa, the way you took it so slow. And I, I, I've been so satisfied. No, I ain't Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Never